Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Road to Medical Sales podcast. Today, I am talking to John Duville, the Midwest and Central Director of Sales for OrthoScan. John has been with OrthoScan for over 11 years. He started out as a sales specialist and worked his way up to the Director of Sales. When he was a regional manager at OrthoScan, he won Region of the Year in 2014, 2015, and 2016 by leading his team to the highest sales revenue in the country. I wanted to bring John DeVille on this episode because for a short time, he was my boss at OrthoScan, and I have always looked up to him. That being said, John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate you inviting me to be a part of it. Absolutely, man. So a lot of our guests have been working in the implant world, supporting their surgeons in the operating room every week. Not a lot of people understand the difference between surgical implant sales and capital medical equipment sales. Do you mind explaining what capital equipment sales is and how it is so unique? Sure. So capital equipment kind of varies industry to industry, and it can also vary between healthcare systems. However, for the most part, Capital equipment refers to items that are not consumed in a normal course of business. So there are many similarities between implant sales and capital equipment sales. For starters, I mean, you can have similar call patterns. You also need to forge relationships with the decision makers to secure your business. Both avenues also require you put in some long work hours. However, there are a lot of differences between implants and capital. Capital equipment reps kind of tend to have a larger territory than implant sales reps. Of course, this depends on the type of product that you're representing. But with that larger territory, there's a different type of travel that can be required. So your implant rep might put in a 12-hour day working with a trauma doc capital rep might need to put in three to five days out of town traveling. It's a different type of sacrifice professionally and personally. Another difference would be your relationship building. The most successful implant rep will establish a really, really strong rapport with a handful of doctors and they'll cultivate those relationships. And that handful of doctors might make up 90% of their sales whereas a capital sales rep needs to win over physicians and decision makers at every facility within their region. Implant sales have a handful of doctors that are their livelihood, and your capital sales rep could have 500 hospitals and ambulatory surgery centers within their region that they have to support. I guess the last big difference would be the sales cycle. There's not that instant gratification of a sale for a capital sales rep, and that's due to the sales cycle for capital generally being a little bit longer and you've got to have a lot more prospects in your pipeline. Both come with their own challenges and rewards. I love that. So I'm really curious, going back to the beginning, how did you initially break into medical sales? Sure. So this is going to seem inappropriate to say right now, but I graduated at a tough time for a guy trying to find his first job. So I, I graduated at the end of 2007. And if your listeners are too young to recall, this was during the housing crisis. And if you're not familiar with that, then I recommend the movie, The Big Short, phenomenal movie. You'll get a crash course of what those times were like. But anyway, so a newly graduated young man, I wanted a 100% commission, eat what you kill type of job. 
And lucky for me, that's probably the only type of job that companies were really wanting to offer a recent graduate. So I guess I kind of had that going for me. So I took the first sales opportunity that I interviewed for and spent the next 18 months kind of living that commission check life. And that experience, albeit not medical, prepared me for future opportunities. So I had some sales experience and I wanted to get into a more stable industry. I've heard great things about medical sales and money, hard work was demanded, but also rewarded. The industry was particularly interesting to me. And I heard it was tough to get into, but once you were in, I heard it was kind of like a cult where you could always find opportunities within the industry. So it just seemed like a more stable industry for me. So a casual conversation with my girlfriend at the time, family, friend, led to them thinking of me as soon as the position became available for someone living in Dallas. I mean, really, it was a very uh, nonchalant conversation with someone in my social network that turned into an interview and is now developing into a career. I recommend to anyone out there, make as many interactions with strangers as pleasant as possible because you never know who's listening. That is so true. And you just never know where an opportunity can spring up from. So you moved from sales specialist to product manager to regional manager, now to the director of sales. And you made that progression within the same company. That is very rare and amazing to see. What do you attribute that upward progression to? And how can new reps just starting out put themselves in the best position to mirror what you have done? Sure. So, I mean, first of all, plenty of my success should be credited to the people that I surround myself with. Like you said, I started at this current company at an entry-level position in, in the very early years, so really the infancy of the company, which means I had the luxury of learning the right way and wrong way of doing things from a lot of different people. And I was always able to kind of customize my own craft from all these experiences. And, and a lot of those experiences are still applied in my day-to-day now. So because of the position I started at, I know what to expect from my team and and would never ask them to do anything that I didn't do myself or honestly anything that I still wouldn't be willing to do now. I recommend that anyone who wants to be in management, they need to be able to relate to the guys in the field so you can share your experiences with them and you can understand their mindset and decisions. I always believe it's important to share your failures just as much as it's important to share your successes. If someone on my team makes a a mistake that I've already made, no matter how long ago I made that mistake, I mean, really, if someone repeats my mistake, then their failure is equally on me for not allowing them to learn from my own mishap. As a manager, I mean, your positive and negative experiences can and should be transferable. I guess, lastly, nothing's more responsible for the good old days than a bad memory. I mean, it's important for management to listen to what the folks in the field are saying. As a manager, you can't have your blinders on to what actually is going on in the field. So don't allow yourself to get stuck only doing things your way. It's important to adapt to what the market's changing. Thanks, John. And I remember when I was at OrthoScan, you had won region of the year several times. And I always wondered, what is this guy doing? Do you attribute that amazing success to anything in particular? 
again, I do surround myself with some really talented people. And luckily, I've been very involved with hiring for my team. But I've also gained the confidence and trust of the distributors to be involved with their hiring for like a dedicated rep to carry our line. Hiring the right people is crucial to being successful. But to build on that, you also need to protect and empower and have a open line of communication with the ones you do hire. I recommend make sure to be involved with hiring for your team, even though it can be an extremely tedious process. It's worth it in the end. That's great. And while I was on your team, you put a very high importance on updating your database of accounts. You know, we sat down and reviewed that weekly. You always placed such a high importance on making sure we had specific details laid out for each account with an action item, next action. Do you mind diving into that a little bit more regarding the importance of mapping out your territory and just staying organized every week with your sales touches? Absolutely. So whatever CRM or shared database you end up using, I really believe it needs to be updated with the most recent information. Every trip, every interaction, every voicemail, email, etc. And obviously we keep databases to keep organized, to plan out your trips and kind of manage your pipeline. That's kind of your obvious answer. But I do think there's another reason why you need to keep everything in that database. And I mentioned earlier, the capital sales rep is not focusing on five to 10 hospitals. They have hundreds of prospects in their region. And that also means that you're never going to have the rapport that an implant rep might have with on-site personnel. So to combat that lack of rapport, you need to find ways to connect with your customer staff. So I'll use small tidbits of information that aren't necessarily related to the sale in my notes. Like for instance, maybe Susan from XYZ Surgery Center has a Gene Simmons kiss bobblehead on her desk. (laughs) So before my next interaction with Susan, I will do something like look at past or future concert dates for kiss So we can have a conversation about something that isn't necessarily work-related. Those small little anecdotes like that will help differentiate you from other vendors that Susan sees four times a year. A capital sales rep has to have a strong first impression, but just as important, they can't sound like a robot with their follow-up. So personalizing your interaction will help set you apart, and this is done by having a really good database. That is awesome. During the implant operating room sales process, typically you just have to convince the surgeon to use your product and you have closed the deal. So you have one end user. So in other words, you need the buy-in from one person. How does the capital medical sales process differ at OrthoScan? You know, for example, are there multiple champions you have to get on board? Yep. So our particular product tends to be a surgeon-driven purchase. However, the funds can come from numerous budgets. So for our particular industry, you need to have surgeon support, the imaging department, blessing nurse support, um, as well as the OR support. And it's always useful to have the support of the biomedical engineering department as well. Now, most of the time, one to three of these departments are going to say things like, this isn't up to me, or this isn't my decision, or no one cares what I said. And even though they might not 
be wrong with that statement, it always pays dividends to have their support should you need to overcome objection from another decision maker. If it's a coin flip decision, which vendor to go with, then you're really going to appreciate the fact that you've met with the biomedical engineering department to keep them in the loop with the upcoming purchase. That extra bit of effort can be a deciding factor. Yeah, and then there's the budget cycles of the hospitals that come into play. Absolutely. So hospitals aren't necessarily on a buy whenever they want when it comes to capital equipment. You need to find out from the hospitals what type of fiscal year they are, whether it's a calendar year, like they buy things January. Fiscal year is looked at as January to December, or if their fiscal year starts in October. But having that information is crucial because you can anticipate that a couple months before their start of their fiscal year is when they're going to start budgeting for items in the upcoming year. And then I know that's always different too, based on the hospital and the clinical setting. And, and you guys work with both and you can find a clinic that can buy now, which is nice. You have kind of a combination of the two. You have to work with the hospital budget cycles as well as you can find a solo practice doctor in the middle of nowhere. I remember when you started out as a product manager, you'd done a lot of demonstrations. They put you out to demonstrate the equipment across the nation when we first launched the mobile DI. And so I kind of wanted to find out, did you learn anything from that regarding qualifying before a demonstration? Pretty fluid answer here because whether or not an account's qualified, you, you kind of have to get a feel, and this kind of comes from experience. Sometimes it's best to get your product in there any way you can so that the end users can see your equipment and then they can take their demand for your equipment up the chain to get someone up above to approve the purchase, maybe on an off-budget item. However, other times, if it's a very strict, we are not buying now, our budget opens in two months and our fiscal year starts in January, you might want to reserve your demo availability until closer to when the budget's submitted because there is an advantage to going last when it comes to demoing the equipment. Going last will give you the opportunity to potentially hear what the customer's reservations might be of your equipment and it also allows you to make the strongest lasting impression with the customer. So, John, we're going to change a little bit of the pace here. When you are hiring a new rep on your team, what do you look for in that individual? So, we could probably talk about this for several episodes. So, I'm going to try to convince it as much as I can. Normally, the person I'm looking to fill is an entry-level position. So, what I'll do is I'm going to review hundreds of resumes to look for items that jump off the page, like worked in high school or how long they've worked at each job that they have had and what type of jobs they've had, et cetera. And what I'll do is I'll cross-reference the resumes that I like with what I can find online about that person. And if there's nothing online that isn't an immediate red flag, then I'll call all potential candidates and I treat the first call as an opportunity to kind of quickly talk and discuss the items that some people would call negatives about the position for instance, like travel requirements, entry-level pay for the entry-level sales position, whether it's a W-2 or 1099, items like that. And if the candidate 
reserved or hesitant with their response, then I immediately eliminate them from contention. Um, there's no sense in wasting either of our time. And honestly, the right candidates will actually see the quote-unquote negatives as advantages for the position. And I'll line up as many interviews as I can and review which candidate's the best fit for, for our company's needs. That's awesome. And then actually during the interview process, do you like to see that they do something particular to differentiate themselves from the pack? Sure. So during the actual interview, I expect the candidates to have knowledge on the company, the product, and the market. And even if it's not 100% accurate, I want to see if they've tried to be the most prepared. And it's a test to see if they can comfortably talk about something they don't know everything about. I want to see enthusiasm, a nice smile, them being comfortable, also them being nervous. I also want to see the initiative they took to research for the position. It's best to take your time with a hire and do it right as opposed to four to six months later realizing that they're not the right fit. I totally understand that. And I'm curious, do you bring your other team members into that process? No, that's a great question. I definitely take team chemistry into account when hiring someone, whether or not I think that they'll work well with the reps that I think they'll be focusing on or whether they'll work with their other sales specialist counterparts. That's a big, a big part of it. I won't bring in a colleague that they'll have, like someone that's on the same position with them. If that person is hired, I don't want them to see their counterpart that has the same position as a superior to them. Yeah, it's just never a good feeling that way. I do definitely lean on my management and sometimes even the HR department when it comes to dotting I's, crossing T's, and making sure that they don't see anything about the candidates that I like. But I'll do a good job only sending viable options to the next stage. Again, not to waste their time and also to make sure that someone I know is going to be a good fit with everyone. And my last part to that question is how important is past sales experience? I know that you had it. I didn't have it when I broke in. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So it's certainly not required. I definitely like someone that has had some. That being said, a lot of people are in sales and they just don't know it yet. As long as I have someone that can be, I guess, malleable, someone that I can work with, that can take leadership and take direction, they don't have to have sales experience. They just have to be comfortable being in sales experiences. You can fine-tune someone and teach someone. Well, this is my favorite part of the episode. What about a funny story from working in this industry? Thinking of a PG-13 story is harder than it looks. However, I do have one. I guess I do need to put a little quick backstory. So our company sells imaging equipment, and this type of equipment uses ionizing radiation to capture pictures. And this is the harmful type of radiation. Now, the equipment uses very little, and our particular company uses the least amount, but it's still the dangerous type of radiation. Okay, so I always warn new hires that they must let everyone know in the room before they take an image during a demo or an install. If someone new walks in the room, then they have to notify them as well, make another announcement. And to enforce this good practice, I always use the imagery of what would happen if you take a picture without proper notification and permission, and it just so happens that someone's 
pregnant in the room. And I can tell you, as a father too, you do not want to upset a pregnant woman and exposing them to a situation that could be potentially harmful to their baby will bring the wrath of God upon you. So this is the type of picture I paint with new hires just to ensure they follow the rules. So that's the backstory. So I'm with a new rep and, during one of his first deliveries. And he was surprising himself with how well his training presentation was going. He was doing a phenomenal job. I mean, he was hitting every key point. I mean, the, the, the guy was in the zone. And so a group of people meeting the training come in the room. And I say there's about, like, 10 nurses. And anyways, he pulls out his phantom hand and readies it to be imaged. And he turns to the audience and says, all right, guys, we're going to take a few sample images, if that's okay with everybody. If you want to grab some lead or step back or, or even, and then he looks at a particular female and points and gestures directly to her. And he continues, or even step out of the room while I take a few pictures because you're pregnant, then please do so now. There was a collective gasp from the room. Because the woman that he designated as pregnant was not pregnant. And she ended up being the charge nurse to the OR, basically the head nurse. I certainly hope that she was having a little fun by pretending she was a little more mad than she actually was. But that might be wishful thinking. But this blunder completely took the rest out of his zone. I mean, he fumbled over the rest of the presentation as if he's never seen the equipment before. It, it, was, it was a funny story for several people in the room, but for the non-pregnant nurse and for the rep, it was anything but. You got to be careful. It was rough. That's definitely a rough day. Oh, man. Thanks, John. Well, hey, any parting words for our listeners, maybe geared towards those that are trying to break into this medical sales industry? Show an initiative and get in the position. To sign up for classes or certifications or pay extra to be on med reps. Do something that's going to set yourself apart. Then do research on the company before having the formal interview. You don't need to know everything about the company, the product, but make sure you know enough where you can confidently demonstrate a sales pitch of their products. I mean, be confident. And in the end, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right either way. So just have confidence and believe in yourself and wish you luck. Thanks, John. I always respected you as a manager and I am just so grateful and appreciative that you're willing to come on this episode and help share your wisdom. Well, Scott, I appreciate you doing creating this tool for those out there looking for medical sales opportunities. I think it's really special that you take time to do that. So I appreciate it, man. I'm going to leave you, like I will after every episode, with a sincere thank you for tuning in and a little food for thought to carry along with you for the rest of the day. Walter Payton once said, When you are good at something, you'll tell everyone. When you are great at something, they will tell you. <laughs>